Hello and welcome to the Raptors Show on the Sports Sportsnet Radio Network, presented by Coors Light. Go from full-time to game time. Coors Light, made to chill. Uh, make sure you find the Raptors Show wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe, rate, review, all that stuff. I am not your usual host, Will Lou. Will Lou is off today. Uh, I'm Blake Murphy. Alongside me in my usual seat is Alex Wong. Alex, what's up, man? What's going on, man? It's a it's a weird formation, man. What kind of what kind of basketball formation is this? Me and you? I don't know. I feel like I'm dribbling left-handed, <laughs> though. Being, I guess, I guess I'm more of a lefty on the show because I'm on the left side and I now I'm just, on the right side. But. I should have just kept you in this seat. I feel like I guess we could have done that. It's fine. Now I, we're all now we're all uncomfortable, bro. Yeah, yeah. yeah this what is, is this a, leg? A what is this thing? leg thing, man? What do you do with your legs usually? I don't know. Just and, put and them here. Now I'm learning that like yeah. the trio of. Will, Ailish, and Kipper, yeah. I think are messier than me, Bourne, and Cuthbert. Yeah. Because, like, that side's always really tidy. No, And this side is, like, there's garbage tucked in everywhere. There's loose cords everywhere. Yeah. But we'll make it work. We'll make it work. We got a big show, so we'll make it work. Sean Strania yep. is going to join us around 2.15. Lindsey Dunn's going to come on with us around 2.30. We're going to help the Raptors coaching staff build a better pregame playlist than what they've been rolling with. We'll ask Lindsay mm. to uh, explain that and we'll go into it. And then Samson folk will join us uh, for the final hour. We'll go deep on a number of Raptors topics. Tee up tonight's Raptors nets in season tournament for the Raptors, their in season tournament finale. Brooklyn still has something on the line, Brooklyn, Orlando, Boston, all still potential winners of the Raptors group C a uh, lot of in-season tournament stuff we can kick around throughout the show. Um, first, though, Alex, so you're wearing a Raptors toque. I know you're a toque guy. I was going through, you know, when the weather turns, I usually go through my closet, make a donation mm. bin run or whatever. Nice. And uh, in bringing out my winter stuff, I realize I have a toque that is like an extremely limited edition run. So do you remember back, this was still in the Kyle DeMar era. Mm-hmm. You know how sometimes they will give out gear to media to try to like entice the all-star votes and stuff yes so even though i don't have a vote yeah. i have a toque that all it is is a black toque but a little kyle lowry cartoon head oh on the front of it that's amazing yeah, yeah are you, don- are you donating that i mean no on? i'm not donating i could donate it to the to the alex wong <laughs> gear fund yeah if, that, uh, that would be a i would, I would gladly accept that yeah, I, think, I think i wore it like one time that's yeah it. raptors have done a cool some cool stuff with that like giveaway stuff over yeah. the years like when they make the all-star pushes i know they did some T-shirts, I think, a few years ago. Yeah, I've got a Kawhi, good Pascal, Siam, a Pascal yeah. Siakam hoodie. Kawhi was on a hoodie, too, I want to say. Maybe yeah. or not. Was that not Kawhi? I can't remember. And then they handed out, um, I don't know if this was officially by the team, but they had, like, the the sauce for, for Pascal as well, hot sauce. I think that was actually through Nando's. It was, like, a collab. Yeah, it was, like, an I official think, uh, collab. Yeah, okay. I don't think that was All-Star related, although yeah. it surely didn't hurt. Yeah, what can we do uh, this year for someone like uh, like Grady Dick? I mean, who you saw last night? Yeah, at Raptors nine oh five as they fell to zero yeah. and eight. Yeah, maybe if Grady gets it going and gets back to the NBA, we can make a rookie sophomore game push. Mm. But I don't think we have to worry about an All Star push uh, for now. Yeah, nine oh five fall to zero and eight. I've mentioned it on the show before. They are in a bad way. So last night they have Grady Dick down there. They have all three two ways down there, mm. and still by the end of the game they were down to six players. Yeah, they have had that many injuries. Um, Marquise Noel is out. Javon Freeman Liberty fouled out last night. Ron Harper Jr. left the game injured. So they were down to even if uh, even if the plan wasn't to get Grady 38 minutes, uh, they needed him. They had no players left. Um, Alex, it was not a very good Grady Dick night. We had kicked around very briefly yesterday. They went one for 12 on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, a little 
bit better in this one, five for 21. In the second half, he did a little bit of other stuff at least, you know, tipping out a couple offensive rebounds, a couple steals on transition mm-hmm. defense. He, he actually, he got blown by at one point, like caught on a screen a little bit and recovered to block the shot, like from behind, uh, which was really impressive. But two games in for the most part, and I wrote about this for sportsnet.ca so people can go and, you know, I talked to Grady about a yeah. one-on-one after, talked about where his confidence is at, what are you trying to tweak mechanically and stuff like that. But I want to ask you, Alex, you see a guy go down, 13th overall pick, just turned 20, only one year of college. He goes down and he struggles this poorly in his first two 905 games. What is your read on that? Because I feel like, you know, I've been doing 905 for eight seasons now. Um, You know, the ups and downs are a little more normal to me, but this stands out a lot, I would imagine, to, um, you know, to the larger NBA media. Yeah, to be honest, like, I'm not... I'm not really freaked out about this or trying to freak out about it. I know, you know, his, his he came in advertised as a shooter and the shot just wasn't there early on. I think we saw some good activity from him here and there, like with the Raptors and, you know, obviously using this stretch in the schedule to, to get him some run here with the 905 and even seeing the shooting struggles here. I know you'd probably talk about it more in the second hour with Samson too. Like I know people have pointed out that maybe the, the shooting mechanics have changed and th- that's where my concern comes in when it comes to like, confidence and stuff and i know you had a really great quote from uh, grady basically said that like you know shoot or shoot that yeah. he's, he's gonna I'll shoot, shoot the yeah. next 10 yeah, i don't he's care gonna shoot the next 10 because that's the mentality you expect from someone a player like grady right so i'm not honestly i'm overall not too concerned i mean if, if i were to be like extreme my, my first example and i think a lot of people always think about like like a markel fultz when he came in and you know so much was made about you know the change in his shooting mechanics and we know what he went through in his career, you know, I'm not saying this is that, but it's like, if you want to go to the most extreme, that would be the most worrisome scenario. But I think this is just a rookie working his way through things. And I expect Grady to be back with the Raptors and and contributing soon. And mechanically, I did ask Grady about this. Mm. I asked head coach, uh, Raptors 905 head coach, Eric Curry, who, you know, in addition to being the 905 head coach, is one of the Raptors player development coaches throughout the offseason. So he told us that actually he was the first person Grady Dick saw for his pre-draft workout. Like Eric's the one running that workout. So Grady and Eric Curry have been working together since Grady got in the door. Um, And they're not... I wouldn't even call it a mechanical change. It, it was to the point that Grady was like, no, I haven't really changed anything about my shot. And the Raptors explanation was a little different. But basically, when he is shooting off of movement, his footwork is so good that he naturally gets like a nice, wide, strong base to lift up out of. And when he is a little more stationary and catch and shoot, he has a tendency for his stance to get a little narrower. And then what Eric Curry told me is that makes the ball come off a little flat. Like, and then to account for that, maybe you're using a little bit too much arm in your shooting motion. So all they're doing is trying to remind him when he's stationary, when he's catch and shoot in the corner or something like that. Hey, same ideas when you come off the ball, get that wide, strong stance. Um, so there's nothing really, no one seems to think anything's wrong mechanically. The shots just haven't dropped. Um, there was a Grange is on the road with the Raptors and he passed along a, a great quote from Darko yesterday. Grange asked him for me. And Darko said, yeah, like he talked to Grady after the first game and Grady was like every single shot I took before the game went down Mm -hmm. and then none of them went down in the game. And like, again, still shooting five of 21 and one of 12 is bad. You shoot six of 33 over two games. There's no way around it. But I think at least, you know, he had one shot where he gets kind of trapped on the side. He does one escape dribble and then he's like fading to his left out of bounds in the corner and sinks that three over a contest. And like, if you are a shooter and you still have that, the ability to make that kind of shot, 
I'm going to maintain confidence that the the simpler stuff will come around. Yeah, and you you know, we talk about sample size on here yeah. all the time and stuff. And, like, shooters are allowed to, even in a Raptors 905 environment, you know, a G League environment, someone like Grady is allowed to have, like, two bad shooting games, right? Mm-hmm. I think I think all the other stuff, like you talking to him, the confidence and all that stuff, that's the mo- more important thing. I'm not really super worried about about what the what the numbers look like in the box score right now yeah and, and like look the, there are some of the same concerns that we had at the nba like he is not a good defender right now like mm-hmm. the the goat real team name capital city Goko. yeah uh they were targeting him obviously i i have some questions for the washington wizards after watching a chunk of the wizards pistons game when i got home last yeah. night and watching the go-go twice in a row here C- congrats to the wizards by the way yeah with, with the victory. Uh, yeah they're now three and 14 the pistons yeah. are two and 15 the pistons on pace for nine and a half wins so just half a win off the all-time worst record what was her over under it gotta be in the mid-20s or something yeah it was low was 20s it? i think yeah 24 and a half that might clinch by like january man yeah. Um, anyway, my question for the yes. Wizards would be Patrick Baldwin Jr. and Hamadou Diallo are down on your G League team. Mm. They are better than most of the players on your NBA team. Like Hamadou Diallo yeah. was like, this is another part of Grady Dick struggling. Is like Hamadou Diallo is not out of the NBA because of his defense. Mm. He is out of the NBA because of the offensive profile and that just sure. like never really came around. The shooting yeah. never really came around. Um, Sounds like another player the Raptors should pick up. I actually... They, so two summers ago, yeah. the Pistons signed oh, him no. to like a two-year, $10 million deal. Yeah. I thought for sure he was going to be like the next Stanley Johnson, Rondé kind of signing Listen, of man, like, tell me we guy, can fix him. You tell me, yeah, the Raptors are classic. We can fix him, man. It's, it's actually kind of wild. Um, um, okay, so that's the 905 yes. wrap. Again, I wrote about Grady Dick at Sportsnet.ca. Yes, check it out, Sportsnet.ca. Um, it is the in-season tournament tonight. We're going to talk to Shams in a couple minutes, but let's set the stage for the in-season tournament tonight. Yes. It is the final night of group play, only two teams have clinched their spot in the quarterfinals so far. Wow. Um, and 12 teams have been eliminated. Mm-hmm. But what that means is there are 16 teams left fighting for four pool titles and the two wildcard spots. Is this enough? Like, like, do you think the small four-game window with these tiebreaker scenarios, like, are you fired up for the, for the game tonight? Are you interested more than you, 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 know, you would have been? Fired up. On a scale of one to, you know, CM Punk making his return to, to WWE, I'm like a I'm like a six, I want to okay. say. Six to seven. Uh, first of all, should should we have, like, Michael Grange or someone tell Darko tonight pregame that the Raptors have been eliminated? I think they're aware so, now. Okay, okay, okay. But the, the, the interesting thing tonight, <laughs> yeah. though, is there are scenarios where the Raptors can impact the yes. Nets, Magic, and Celtics. So the Raptors may... And, like, we said this yesterday tongue-in-cheek of, like, mm-hmm. you want to build good habits for the in-season tournament stuff. Yeah. But, like, they actually might play to the buzzer no matter what the score is mm-hmm. because here's the scenario. If the Nets win yeah. and the Celtics win, mm-hmm. then the Nets, Magic, and Celtics are all tied at the top of the pool and it goes to point differential. Mm-hmm. If the Celtics lose, they're they're out. But yeah. the Nets could still tie the Magic and then the Nets actually win a tiebreaker with the Magic. Man. If the Raptors beat the Nets and the Celtics win, the Magic win a tiebreaker with the Celtics. So the Raptors can knock the Celtics out okay, no, by beating the Nets. I think I think that should be part of the pregame speech from Darko. And yeah. I'll tell you off air too, like they should do the final night of group play, like um, how they do, I think, the final day of like the baseball season yeah. and stuff, like have all the games take a uh, tip off at the same time, at least yeah. – like you mentioned, you mentioned this, like Eastern Conference, have them all tip off maybe at 8 or something like that, 7.38, so right? So the five Eastern Conference games yeah. do tip off at 7.30. Perfect. The West has staggered times. Okay. So we won't, you know, some okay. of these so, West so teams might know. So at least for the East, we'll, we'll get that. And I want, I want some, like, you know, like scoreboard watching of like, oh, my God. 
you know, the Nets need yeah. to score 10 more points here to win the point differential. So, yeah, back to your question about the excitement. I think this is exciting. Like, once you start seeing about clinching scenarios, the fact that there's still so many teams fighting for spots, like, I think even the people that could uh, sat here and said, like, even myself saying, oh, I don't care about the in-season tournament, whenever there's something to play for, like, you're going to tap in and 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 really watch. So so I do think it's an exciting night for for the NBA tonight. Uh here's a question. So there could be running up of the score for point differentials because again, Boston is playing the Bulls. Mm-hmm. They're not going to know how many points they need until the Raptors okay. Brooklyn game is so over. Boston so Boston has could, incentive to run up the just score. Just in case. Okay. Just in case. So if, if Boston gonna... and Brooklyn both win, okay, so it's the... <laughs> coming down to three team point differential tiebreaker. Yeah. So run it up just in case. Okay, so potential fights, um, DeMar versus Sam Hauser tonight. So this That's is one. what I was going to ask you. Yeah. Which team in the NBA yeah. do you think would be the biggest babies about <sighs> having the score run up on them for point differential? Who's got like who's got like those like real old vets on their teams? Like, you know, I know Udonis Haslam is like retired now, but it's like that type of guy is the guy that's going to get mad at the in-season tournament. Yeah. So so I'm going to need I'm going to need some teams with um with like some uh some vets on there. But yeah. but right now Chicago Chicago Boston is is profiling as like as like the number one uh number one fight scenario that's going to happen. Yeah. Cuz Demar's already voices this displeasure about this. Yeah. And once again, I'm not anti tomorrow, but he should be fine for saying the NCAA tournament doesn't matter. Yeah. At the uh, very least, Adam Silver got to give him a call. If he can call the Raptors show, he can call tomorrow. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I agree <laughs> with uh, that one. So just to set the table, the Lakers have okay. clinched in the West. So they're um, chill. They so, are. And then there are six <laughs> other teams fighting for Wait, the them. Lakers are playing again tonight after their 44-point no. loss? Okay, no, they're, they're done. done. They've they're clinched. Done. Okay. They're 4-0. Um, okay. they, the Lakers and the Pacers are the only teams that have clinched. Okay, so they're so done. Everyone they're else, good. I mean, there are a handful of teams that have been eliminated. Yeah. Raptors, Bulls, Pistons, what's, Wizards, Shocker. What's the most interesting uh, battle for you? Like, which group is most interesting to you right now? Um... Because I know there's like a Minnesota yeah, thing that going one, on with Houston too, Minnesota, right? Sacramento, Golden State yeah, Golden are all State. there. Houston's um, group is kind of interesting too, right? Yeah. So Houston's group is interesting because they can, anywhere that a team controls their own fate, it gets interesting. Mm-hmm. So Houston is in a scenario where they control their own fate to, like if they win, they're yeah. going to jump the Pelicans. Okay. Um, See, that's now, fun. Now that's Dallas fun. Like is Rockets, already out. Yeah. As like a Rockets fan, it's fun, right? Yeah. Win and you're in. And like, if you're the Rockets, you're appreciating this great start that you're off to, but you're probably still being realistic about like, hey, a deep playoff run is not, Mm -hmm. is probably not that likely. Yeah. Winning the in-season tournament though, I think that's Mm -hmm. possible for a team like the Rockets. And that's kind of, you know, I picked the magic to win the in-season tournament when we kicked it around at the start of the year. And like, that's the kind of team, the Pacers who yep. are 4-0, and, and again, maybe they could make it to the second round of the playoffs, upset yeah. someone, get to the conference finals with this offense. But realistically, winning the in-season tournament could be kind of the, the biggest thing that they do this year sure. other than just taking a step forward in the standing. So um, I think uh, I think that should be pretty cool. Milwaukee and Miami are also in like uh, if Milwaukee wins, they're in. If Miami wins, they're playing the tiebreaker game. So any hmm. situation like that, most of the games tonight have some stakes. Yeah, which no, is think, uh, which is cool. I think it'll be fun, and it'll be our last time seeing some of these in-season tournament courts, uh, except except in Dallas, my brother. Yeah, the uh, the Mavericks will not be using, according to our pal Tim McMahon, the Mavericks <laughs> court for the in-season tournament was so bad the first time, and was so bad in trying to get it ready for tonight. They are not using that court against the Houston Rockets. Uh, the Mavs have already been eliminated, so we won't see it in the quarterfinals mm-hmm. either. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's it for the Mavericks. Someone asked me this question yesterday and What's I up? didn't have the answer offhand, but I wonder your take on it. 
those games that teams like the Raptors are playing Wednesday and Friday next week. Next week, yeah. So games that are in the in-season tournament week, but only count to the regular season. You think they'll use the in-season tournament courts just to get another use out of them? Um, I don't know. I feel like it might devalue the courts, man. Because um, obviously it's like a, you mentioned it might be like a Toronto-Detroit, might be a Toronto-Washington type game. Yeah. Um, and since it doesn't count for anything. Regular season, um, just regular season. Yeah, so, yeah. No, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just very curious. I need to... I need to set my life up, so I need to know who those who who they're playing. <laughs> yeah, um, we know it'll be Wednesday and Friday at least, yeah, yeah, and yeah, that yeah. only one Eastern Conference team is going to get the bad luck of having to go to on the West Coast. Yeah, and it's also weird because the because the finals because the finals um doesn't count for right. the regular season, but we can talk about that. After. Yeah, and like the playing game, the stats just uh, don't exist. Um, not tonight, but later this week, a couple of key players around the NBA are coming back to health. As first reported by our, our pal Shams Tarania, senior NBA insider for The Athletic and Stadium and co-host of the Run It Back show. He joins us now. Shams, what's up, man? How are you? What's going on, Blake? Former athletic co co uh co-friend, co-worker, appreciate you. Yeah, appreciate you coming on. Uh, miss miss teaming up on, on some stories with you. Uh, you had a couple this week about guys returning to health. CJ McCollum nearing a return for the Pelicans. Jamal Murray, you said it's eating at him to be sitting out. He's taking warm-up shots in street clothes. When you look at the top of the West, man, it's already so tight. How, how much fun is it and how huge is it for these two teams to get a couple of all-stars back in McCollum and Jamal Murray? Yeah, for sure. I mean, in the case of Jamal Murray, I think he's more day-to-day. We'll see whether he's going to be back on Wednesday against the Rockets here tomorrow, or could it be Friday in their in-season tournament game on the road in Phoenix? I think both are are possible, but it's really day-by-day how he feels. He's coming back from a hamstring injury, um, and and yeah, it is eating at him. He's been out for the last several weeks, so I think his return is imminent. It's just going to be about which day he feels good. CJ McCollum, I'm more sure about he will be uh, unless there's a setback, uh, I'm told back in the lineup, most likely either tomorrow at home against the Sixers or Friday against the Spurs. And this is a Pelicans team. I think that that is playing better. They've won five of the last eight games. You're seeing Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram. They're playing together cohesively, uh, probably as good as they have been ever. And I think Zion Williamson, him at point guard, that's something that we've seen a lot. I know he's embraced it. He wants to play that position. And so seeing CJ McCollum transition back to this team, they need shooting. Last night in Utah, they could have used a, a spot-up shooter in the, in a couple of those crunch time moments. And so getting CJ McCollum back will be big for the Pelicans. Yeah, it'll be big for the Pelicans, big for the Nuggets to get Murray back and makes the Western Conference crazier where there are, you know, 11 or 12 teams that think they should be playoff teams, seven or eight of those that probably have championship aspirations. It's a little early for this, Shams. I know December 15th is kind of the date when the trade season really picks up. But how much are you anticipating that this is going to be a pretty crazy year, December 15th to the trade deadline, given how much is at stake for a lot of these Western Conference teams? It's it's going to be an active, I think, trade deadline. Um, but again, how how active, how many moves? There's going to be moves. But how how much will it happen close to the deadline? I think because a lot of teams also have free agents that can't get traded until December 15th. Some in the case of the Lakers, let's say if the Lakers want to get involved with a guy like Zach Levine, which I do think they will express interest in Zach Levine, a, a few of their contracts to get up to 40 million, guys like Rui Hachimura, D'Angelo Russell, Rui Hachimura can't be traded until mid-January, D'Angelo Russell not till mid-December. So uh, there are a few teams in that similar boat where you need to wait until these trade restrictions come up. But I think overall, there will be moves, and I think the parity of the league helps. Uh, but I expect it will be closer 
uh, to the deadline. Uh, we haven't seen him trade in December for two years now. I know you have said uh, other places at, at Stadium, at the Athletic, on Run It Back that, the, yes, the Lakers are one of the teams you'd expect to be interested in Zach Levine. Um, again, we're a little away from that, but given that that news has been out there a while, you reported that a couple of weeks ago now, what is the sense that you get of, of what that market would be like? What other teams other than the Lakers could be involved there? There will be a market. The question is how much appetite will, will there be for Zach Levine's contract, right? Because overall, as a player, we know a 20-plus point per game score. He can score the ball. He can fill it up. He's a two-time all-star. Uh, but he's in the second season of a five-year, $215 million max contract. And so th there are definitely teams that have a level of weariness to it. But I think when you think about the Lakers, you think about the Sixers, two teams that obviously have championship aspirations, uh, and, I, and I do expect there to be more teams that show interest. But again, matching the Bulls' price, what they want in a, in a deal, that's going to be important as well because th this is a guy that the Bulls value. They, they want to see uh, a return for Zach Levine, but will that match a team that might just view him? You know, could it just be a salary dump? That could be what other teams might view. But I think finding price point versus a team that has a desire, that has a, as, as a true um, you know, championship aspiration this season, I think we'll get more clarity over the next month or so. So Toronto show here, Canadian show here, got to ask you a little about the Raptors. Uh, I know we spent all of last year kind of like, okay, what are the Raptors going to do? What direction are they going to pick? Will Siakam or, or Ananobi or Trent be available? They ended up adding Yaka Pirtle four picks, but this year it seems like we're headed for the same kind of thing. Will they trade Siakam? Is OG headed into unrestricted free agency available? Same thing for Gary Trent. Do you expect this to be another year where the contending teams are kind of waiting out the Raptors? Hey, what are these guys going to do? There's no question. I think Toronto, because of guys like Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, two guys that are pending free agents, right? And I think that plays a, a part in it, in, in guys being available or not being available and like – you said like last season for sure teams were looking at Toronto's situation and I reported in the athletic over the summer the, the Hawks made serious offers there were serious conversations there for Pascal Siakam there were offers made around DeAndre Hunter um, AJ Griffin draft compensation and and you know there, there were some very intense conversations had around summer league and ultimately the deal did not happen besides Jerry Bobby Webster they kept that team as is and and I think now, when teams look at this roster, Scotty Barnes is the one guy you can say right now, he's not going anywhere. But beyond that, for sure, I think teams have their eye across this roster. This The, the town has never been, I think, an issue for the, the Raptors over the last couple of years. From a roster com component, I think they've had the pieces. It's about can they gel, can they come together, do they fit? And, and the timeline, you know, does the Siakam timeline match everyone else? So we'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll have these conversations again before February. Uh, Shams, before I let you go here, you mentioned Summer League. That's obviously, you know, all the GMs, all the newsbreakers like yourself in one place, all the agents. This is the first year that we've had the in-season tournament, but it's going to take place on a neutral site. It's going to take place in Vegas, which is the NBA's like unofficial home for these things. Could you see the in-season tournament growing into kind of a, an unofficial like GM meetings that kickstarts trade season moving forward? I, I, I'm not quite sure yet. I mean, I, I think the G League showcase, mm -hmm. you know, in Orlando this year has been in Vegas, has been Santa Cruz in the past. I think that is something of a winter meetings in the NBA. If there is, you know, something similar to summer league, 
I don't know yet how many teams, uh, other executives are going to really show up to the in-season tournament yet. But again, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't gone yet, but hopefully I'll, I'll find out soon. Are you digging the in-season tournament, by the way? Like, are you looking forward to the games aspect of being in Vegas, not just the, the catching up with executives aspect? Well, in, in talking to players, I think there's definitely a level of, of excitement for the in-season tournament. A lot of it is to do with the prize money. And I, <laughs> you know, when I was reporting out the CBA, the $500,000 prize per player for the in-season tournament. And then I think it lowers the 200 K for the runner up like this. These, this is substantial amounts of money, whether you're Anthony Edwards, whether you're LeBron James, whether you're, you know, a, a max player or whether you're at the end of the bench, obviously for the end of the bench, it means a lot more, but uh, guys are really, uh, I think uh, motivated by it. Yeah. I can only imagine what a two-way guy or, or someone who's on a non-guarantee deal, you know, we got to get a media bonus in there as well. Uh, Sean Strani, man, thanks so much for taking the time out. Keep up all the great work over at the athletic stadium and on run it back. Appreciate you making time out. Alex Blake. Thanks. Thanks again. Thank you. Sean Strani, a senior NBA insider for the athletic and stadium co-host of the run it back show. Uh, yeah. I think we're headed for another January, February where, People like Shams are reporting, hey, everyone is waiting to find out if the Raptors guys are available or not. Uh, who knows if they actually will be. Uh, that's something the Raptors have played close to the chest for a couple of trade seasons. Now, we're going to take a break. Something the Raptors are not playing close to the chest is what they're doing to try to pump up before the game. Lindsey Dunn of City News TO talked to the Raptors coaches about what goes into their playlist selection. Uh, we're going to talk to her about that when we come back. We're going to build our own playlist. Lindsay's also doing uh, the 905 sideline reporting this year, so we'll see what vibe she's gotten around the 905 this year and Grady Dick uh, as well. Lindsay Dunn joins us next as the Raptors show continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. I'm Blake Murphy alongside Alex Wong. Will Lou off today. Uh, so momentarily here, we're going to tag in our friend Lindsey Dunn of City News TO and of Raptors 905. Lots to uh, ask her about. Alex, we just talked to Shams Trania. Uh, didn't debrief with you coming out of that. Uh, what, did, what did you make of how he set up? I mean, the emphasis really seems to be from people like Shams that we've talked to that the 500,000, even if you're a guy who makes 40 million, like 500,000 is 500,000. That's my biggest takeaway from the in-season tournament reaction so far. See, I got a theory about that in terms of like, I know I've heard star players get really excited about the 500,000 as well. LeBron, I think Dame Lillard has, has talked about the 500K as Dennis well. Schroeder. Yeah. See, I don't want to lump Shooter into this theory, but my thing is like, um, you know, if, if those star players are excited about the 500K, um, they might be like cheap spenders in real life. Because they're excited to get that 500 We know that about LeBron, though. Do we? Is there, are yeah, there facts? There was a, speaking of playlists, actually. Yeah. Back in his cat, his second stint with the Cavs, oh. when they were here, I remember him getting teased because... He doesn't use Spotify Premium. He doesn't pay yes. for Premium, so you can't order your See? playlist. It'll See? play it in random no matter what. So you're saying my theory actually has legs. Like can't, it, can't do the 11 bucks a month. <laughs> if we, That's why he doesn't know any of the lyrics. <laughs> um, but, like, yeah, this is my theory. Obviously, for... Like you mentioned, the two-way players and a bench guys. My other thing is like if you're LeBron and you guys win the in-season tournament, 
Like, I think LeBron, AD, and even Austin Reeves, these guys should give the money to the end of bench guys. So that it's an interesting... Is that even allowed, I guess, like yeah. in the CBA? I, don't I know. mean, I think in the CBA, probably not. There's probably yeah. not language about it. But the way it works in the playoffs, I, we talked about, you know, what the playoff pool is in your NBA finals mm-hmm. pool and stuff like that when we were setting up the in-season tournament. The players have some discretion over how that gets split up. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously the captains of your team, the leaders of your team are going to, you know, kind of handle that. I'm sure if the Raptors had gotten there it's probably a garrett temple who's also a big part of the union mm-hmm. um you know making making sure all of that stuff is you know equitable and things like that but yeah there is some some player discretion on the uh on the team side so um we haven't heard word there is it sounds like it's five hundred thousand flat across but that's crazy like like a two-way player this year will if they maximize their two their two-way contract mm-hmm. will get 560k yeah. So you're almost doubling your salary. Yeah. Those guys are often playing with $0 guaranteed in their contract. Like Marquise Noel only has 75K guaranteed. Right. If you were to, and, and this is the same for two ways around the league, and who knows, maybe teams decide, hey, if our two ways aren't up with us, they're not getting a share or something like that. But, uh, you know, the minimum contract for an undrafted free agent on a real contract is $1.1 million. So even then you're you're adding uh, significantly more to your pocket. But I do think you're right that um, there are some, there are some people who, you know what? Actually, there's a joke about this. Have you, did you ever watch Trainwrecked? Yes. The, the movie with um, Bill Hader and LeBron, LeBron James. LeBron and Amari Stoudemire. Yeah. yeah and yeah, yes. Bill Hader's a doctor and like LeBron's his best friend. LeBron won't pick up the tab when they're out for breakfast. Cause he's like, <laughs> no, he's like pulling out the receipt and like, what did each of us get? And splitting it up that way. Um, and I wonder if, like, that's a, a gag in there because LeBron is like that in real life. Listen, man, I've heard some stories about these star players and how they tip uh, when they're out, but obviously can't air them out um, on here. But just have, just have a theory about that, man. Let's track down the players who are more excited about the 500K and the others. And sometimes you got to think about, too, like, these guys obviously have, like, huge kind of crews, like an entourage, yeah. like group of friends around them. 500k 500k would go a long way take take care of your friends and stuff next time we especially you know you're spending a weekend <laughs> saw, in vegas I, I right like phil jackson yeah. just now i was like these guys all have their own entourage um <laughs> lebron is never time, coming on this show next time we get garrett temple if yeah. we get him again this year yeah we, we're gonna i do wonder an, are we gonna do an iq test we should like we should like test them make them like write the lsats on air or something yeah well <laughs> i will help him out off air uh we look 159 is a good score um, yeah. He's doing all right without us. Um, but I wonder if we could get out of him who the cheapest teammate he's played with is. That is actually like the number one thing I want to know, just like from any player. And we have like so many great player podcasts now um, that, yeah. Like, oh, Jeff that, Teague would spill for sure. Oh, Jeff Teague would spill for sure, man. Well, as, as we continue to try to sort out this Lindsey Dunn situation, I do want to talk to you about last night too. What... um. Um, what is this uh, Reggie Jackson, DeAndre Jordan revenge game that I was watching last night? <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is on the heels, by the way, of a uh, Reggie Jackson and Catavius Caldwell Pope revenge game where the okay. Nuggets beat the Pistons without Jokic and without Jamal Murray. Uh, last night, it was, of course, they those two guys doing it against the Clippers. Clippers, no Jokic, no Murray. And the Clippers, like were not competitive against the Nuggets down the stretch. So the, the Nuggets won the fourth quarter by 20 points yeah, to a, take that game back. I'm officially worried about my uh, my championship pick of the Clippers. Um, I just want to sound the alarms. But we finally have Lindsay, friend of the program, City <laughs> News, sports and music, journalist, Raptors 905, 
sideline reporter. What's going on, Lindsay? Great, great lighting. You got more Riz than Shams. Whoa, I think that's the first time everyone said Riz about me, but also I love that you like this Lindsay Dunn problem or situation. That's like the first time I've ever really had drama around me. <laughs> well, I was, told, cool. I was told in the group chat there was no audio or video. So that to yeah, me I'm sounds difficult. like a situation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a situation. Yeah. All right, Lindsay. So you are a sports and music reporter at City News TO. We're going to hit both sports and music in this segment. We're going to start on sports. So you're obviously mm. you're wearing the NBA Jam Sue Bird uh, Stewie t-shirt. We're going to start with not WNBA but G League. Uh, so we were both down at the game last night. You are the 905 sideline reporter this year for uh, a large handful of the games down at Paramount Five Food Center. Before we get into the Grady Dick specifics, how is that going? How are you enjoying it? <laughs> Thanks for asking. Uh, you guys know me both well enough. I have no filters, so I'll just be honest. The first game that I did at their home opener, I don't think I've ever been that sweaty in my life. <laughs> so uh, like, I'm just being how I am, and it it went well. I didn't swear on air. It, they had a like fun walk-off interview at half because it was only one of two times so far this season that they've been leading at the half. But everyone you know, on the team, around the team, the crew I work with, they're a lot of fun, and the season ticket holders that sit by where I sit, it's honestly been so much fun and a joy to be doing these games, even though the record right now, well, it's it's not so fun. It's not. They're 0-8. It's, uh, it's been a tough watch. It's been, uh, you know, last night was the first one that I got out to this year. Usually I'm, I'm out at more than that. Um, tough energy, and, and again, for anyone who doesn't know, this is not necessarily a talent and execution thing. They're using emergency call-up. They're in Greensboro and having to Uber players in from Charlotte to have enough people uh, to play. So, Lindsay, I mean, what do you, how, are we even able to evaluate? Like, obviously, the G League is way more about figuring out what's happening individually, developmentally, than what the team record is. Like, I'm having trouble doing that. Are you, are you having trouble figuring out, other than Mo, Mo Gay being really good, um, you know, it's hard to get a read on these guys. Yeah, Moji has just been phenomenal so far. But you're right, it is hard to get a read on these guys and these teams because half of them are in or out of the lineup every time. Like last night, Jason Page also left the game with an ankle injury, and you kind of saw him bringing that a little bit of spark to the team when they needed it in that second half where they've been struggling so far through these first eight games. But it's really hard to get a read on the team. But I did like seeing that there is some positivity, I know, surrounding not the great record, but that they are trying to develop and work on their game and work as a team that they're still kind of believing in the system. And I know that would be hard to do for anybody that's 0-8 in the team, but it's really, you're right, hard to get a read on this team, what they're doing, but there has been some sparks of greatness, or you could see potential greatness, especially like you mentioned for Moji. Yeah, and the nice thing if you're in the G League, if, if you're trying to be positive long term, is well, guess what? You get a you get a schedule reset a third of the way through the season. Um, there is like a first chunk of the schedule that concludes with the G League showcase, mm -hmm. and then the regular season starts up in like late December, early January. So you actually can think that way, um, Lindsay. Being around these guys, you know, I, I ha again, I haven't been on a ton, um, so I haven't gotten to know them personally. Moji seems to have a pretty big and positive personality. Justice Winslow is Justice Winslow. We know pretty well. Is, is there anyone, you know, you've been drawn to or, or has, you know, stood out to you personality-wise around these guys? Well, the worst answer right now is like, you're not going to like this, is I think all of them. Okay. That's also why I love the G League and the 905 is because, it, you're right, it's all about the developmental part of it. You're seeing all of them kind of work towards, you know, the goal of getting to the NBA or improving something on their game. But you already mentioned Emoji has just been a firecracker for this team since they started, and he brings such a positivity. And he has even mentioned about them really kind of struggling in that second half that 
you kind of let it go. There'll always be another game. And then you try to work towards that one. He's not going to let it weigh him down because yeah, immediately you don't want to lose and you don't want to, you just kind of want to go and look at film, but he's trying to stay positive, take some notes out of it and work towards the next game. So he's been great to see on there as well. Kobe Simmons, who, you know, you've mentioned, he just was brought into the uh, 905 last week in a trade. I really have loved the spark he's brought with his personality, and that's someone that I don't really know, but I'm excited to see how he's going to impact this squad because it's already been pretty impactful in two games. And then there's Grady Dick, who I know you've done some fun stuff with in preseason and over the course of of practices this year. Um, More on the on-court side, though, what have you made of these first two games? The stat lines are the stat lines. We talked about it a little bit earlier. Um, What's your read on, on where Grady Dick is at right now? Well, I honestly was nervous for him after that first game. When you guys talk about those stat lines, they were not pretty and they were everywhere. People that don't follow the 905 or honestly didn't know it existed, they were talking about it. And I was really enjoyed to see how he handled it. He had a much better game yesterday. Yeah, I'm sure people wanted even higher stats, but he said, you know, he kind of stayed off of social media. He was listening to his quote close circle and just wanting to build on that and improve his game. And we saw him between game one and game two become so much more aggressive, which is something they wanted to see from him. And his shot was falling not quite as much as they would have liked, but I really enjoyed seeing just how more aggressive he was, especially in that second game that we saw in that first game that wasn't an ideal 905 debut. All right, Lindsay, here's a theory for why the 905 aren't getting it done and why the Raptors have started games slowly so far this season. (laughs) It's a playlist issue. Um, You talked to all the Raptors coaches, including Darko, a a number of the assistants, about what goes into the pregame playlist that the Raptors coaches create. Can you walk us through a little bit for anyone who didn't see the video uh, on your Twitter, which they can find at Lindsay Dunn TV uh, or on on City News TO website. uh, Can you walk us through a little bit of this high energy playlist that, you know, I think we're going to have to pick apart a little bit. We absolutely need to, and I'm glad you brought this up because, you know, Jama Malalela, the saint that we all know that he is, I just wanted to find out, like, how his pregame changed this year with the Raptors compared to being with Golden State, you know, and his first stint with the Raptors. And he mentioned how, you know, they have a playlist and everyone gets to pick a song. And when you get your song and it's on, you really got to get at it. I'm trying to put this all into context for people that don't know what the songs are yet. Then Pat Delaney revealed that it's called a high-energy playlist. So, all of that in mind, <laughs> Pat Delaney's song, a lot of Bruce Springsteen, like Glory Days. Yeah. Like, hey, I was like, can you imagine him getting it? So then, you know, Jama said, you know, you got some 90s hip hop in there, you got some biggie, which, you know, absolutely will get some people hype. We've heard this in different locker rooms in different sports. <laughs> Darko, I was waiting to ask this question. Like, full disclosure, I'm full team Darko. I bought into a system, and him as a human, he's so wonderful, nice, and positive to be around. <laughs> His song was Bella Chow from, if you've seen Heist, the TV show. It's like Bella Chow, Bella Chow, Bella Chow, Chow, Chow. <laughs> I know he saw it in my face because my reaction was, what? Like, don't get me wrong, in the series and all that, it really amps them up. But then I got into the visualization of seeing him around Jamma, Pat, and the rest of the coaches all in a circle, just kind of <laughs> huddling up and yelling it at each other. I'm like, that has to be the most random and wild playlist song I've ever heard for a coaching staff or player in any sport, trying to amp them up. And hey, for each their own, but I just 
I'm curious to see how the other coaches react to it. Yeah, like it's it's betting a little bit on, you know, hey, do you know your 19th century Italian labor politics? Because, you know, it started as a protest song. So, like, I get that element of it. But like Temple over here? Yeah, Alex, this has (laughs) got to be a thumbs down for you, right? No, I think the big the big flaw for them is, you know, playlists are very personal things, right? Like these are songs that you listen to that you have a personal connection to their biggest mistake to start was doing a group playlist. Like I can count the number of people that I, w- I would want to have a group playlist and like <laughs> shared songs with on like one finger. Um, and that's Ennis Esmer. We have a nineties <laughs> hip hop list that we share, but it's like, no, but it's like, you're trying to get a team hyped and you, and you, you, everybody's got their own little eclectic, like, you know, selection. There's no flow to this. There's no rhythm to it. And it sounds exactly like how the Raptors play in the first quarter. So, um, you know, I think I think we are onto something about this playlist problem, guys. Okay, so Lindsay, you're obviously a big music person. You you cover music for City News TO. There are a ton of vinyl behind you. Um, do you have any sort of like playlist principles when you sit down to make a playlist? And and I guess to Alex's point, would you group playlist or is that too personal an exercise? All day, every day, because I think there's nothing more fun than absolutely smack talking somebody about their terrible trash song <laughs> choice. So yes, like we will have a great song. Sorry, not all of us have interviewed Lil Yachty. All right, Lindsay. <laughs> and Dolly Parton. Yeah. yeah. God, the range Come is on. crazy. You got to work nine to five. Come on. I work uh, two to but, four. Yeah. Oh. yeah. If, if that, just kidding. I'm just kidding. Throwing some shade. But absolutely, I need some beats immediately. There's one song. And I feel like if it does not get you hyped up, it doesn't get you pumped up. We can't be friends and I'm judging you. And mm. it's Space Jam by Quad City DJ. Like <laughs> I even walked down the aisle to this. I've shared this on the show before. That mm. song and so many people around, it gets you going. She got like it going right away. It's got a kind of a callback uh, song. So it's amazing. Would and we, I think it's a great choice. Would we be worried about that song being too era specific. So this is maybe the issue you run into with the nineties hip hop, certainly with Bruce Springsteen. Um, there is classics all time. Okay. Classics only for you. Okay. My song, my go-to song. Yeah. What's up? Yeah. What is your go-to song? Nervous. For, for pregame, it would be a blur song too. Yeah. What, a, what are you taking an offensive zone face off <laughs> in the second period of a hockey game? That's yeah. such a hype song, man. I remember playing NHL video games to that too. Man. Yeah. For those that don't know how it goes, can you give us a little example? Uh, no, that's all. No free karaoke, no free feet. Yeah, that's the rules. Um, <laughs> you know the backstory of that song, right? No, I don't. So yeah. they they put the album together, and the record company was like, "Ah, there's like." there's something missing we yeah. we want like like we don't think there's a single here and the reason it's called song 2 is like they just threw something together that they thought was silly as like okay that's amazing uh, uh, like as like like ribbing the record company and then the record Sick. company loved it and wanted to release it as their first single oh man this is, this makes it my favorite song now it's got the pushing back against authority angle too yeah. i love that what it's about your you jam, but I, what was up i think you? though it's interesting about it is like the playlist if you're going to do it and you call it high energy you kind of all have to understand what you think high energy means like all of us like it's a For, tempo in it or it's like you're doing yeah. it doesn't have to be era or like 90s or whatever, yes there has to be a theme there has to be a theme a focus like high energy like it's just so yeah. disjointed like that would be the worst dj ever when you're going from bruce springsteen to biggie to bella chow bella chow bella chow, chow yeah i still don't get that choice but sorry yeah, this is where I like a group activity like this. I would probably I might have to recuse myself from it because I'm a I'm a like screamy 
guy to get pumped up. Like I'm like Slipknot, yeah. Alexis on fire. Like mm. like my my the one I would put on would probably be this could be anywhere in the world by Alexis because it's this slow yeah. build to a heavy screamy and then sing songy chorus. Um, so you get a little bit of everything and it builds and builds and builds. <laughs> and my favorite, like my favorite pitcher entrance or walk up song of all time is when BJ Ryan for the Blue Jays oh. used to come out to Duality by Slipknot yeah. and the old LED boards, like the first gen technology of LED, yeah. would have the fake flames everywhere like at that. Skydome. Um, so I would have to either back out of this or, you know, sit down and think about, hey, what, what's something I can get that's a little more, you know, accessible for the entire group? No, I think you I think bring the, in some fake flames and make it happen, man. I, I think between the three of us, we can put together a pretty good playlist. Um, is all I'm saying. Yeah. You guys want to attempt? We should this? probably do this. I, I actually would love to attempt this. Uh, yeah. And I actually would have a song already for Alex if I can go for it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, Lindsay. And like a fun fact, what people don't know, his book Prehistoric is available to pre-order on paperback out on Amazon December 5th. But my <laughs> song. And playlist is going to be solely by NBA players. Oh, and the music I like that, that. And, and music they've released. So for Alex, my song choice for you would be by C-Web Chris Weber. Yeah. Too much wow. drama because an... you are too much drama. For for people that are not just listening on the podcast, Lindsay is bringing out records from her collection mm -hmm. and she is holding up a Chris Weber yeah. uh, record right now. This is incredible. Yeah. I wasn't and familiar because, with, I wasn't and familiar because, with your And because game. I have more faith in Blake's yeah. musical taste than yours, I'm going to go with another C-Web. Wow. Uh, wow. Featuring, gangsta, gangsta. featuring Corrupt from the Dog Pound. Yeah, you got this, a street mix. You have an instrumental version. You have a radio edit. I tell you. Do like you, that right there. Do you think you could out Nardwar Nardwar, Lindsay? Oh, nobody can out Nardwar Nardwar. I'm going to label you. you as the new Nardwar. You think that's controversial? Yeah. No, I'll take it. It's better than being the issue that you called me earlier. <laughs> what did I, what did I call? You just said the Lindsay Dunn issue when we were trying to connect with her. Oh, I thought you meant when I texted you. I was like, are you going to recommend Gangnam Style to me? Um. Oh, my uh, God. He did. I was like, I didn't cancel me. But for me, I would like to go with Brian McKnight. Oh, man. The late, featuring the late Kobe Bryant. Kobe, yeah. Hold me. Yeah. Because you're going to have to hold me back because I'm going to be making it rain beyond the arc and you can't stop me. So yeah. those would be my first three choices. That's but what would your guys' choices for the Blake, playlist be? Blake, what you got? Jeez, I did not prep as much as NBA player cameos <laughs> and stuff like that. I know there was, an, uh, there was some... Uh, album back in the day that like obviously Shaq did his Shaq Fu stuff but he yes. was like the A&R on some records as well like he got like got unofficially credited um, yeah. obviously Allen Iverson's albums under the name Jules uh, oh, yeah. David, David, David Stern wasn't, that, yeah. uh, wasn't too happy yeah. about that um, but Lindsay, you, have, you have the AI 40 bars record? I do I also have can I buy, uh, can I buy that off you? Absolutely not. Can I also we negotiate the on it? 87 Lakers world champions just say no which features Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, A.T. Green, Magic Johnson, Brian Scott, it goes James Worthy, and Coach Pat Riley even dropping. Why does lines. Pat Riley in that cartoon look like Barack Obama? Also, can we go back to me <laughs> buying uh, Jules 40 bars off you? Yeah. And do you want to know the best part is I have two copies you... of it, and absolutely not. You're, I you're... like you. Yeah, but but no. no, no. I just called no. you Narwar this... on a national network. Yeah, That's not good enough? And then let's, this is a promo copy oh DJ my God. edition of 40 Bars for those listening. Can, you, a promo can copy. you bring it to the game tomorrow? I just want to be in the presence of it. Well, as much as I like you, I don't trust you. And I feel like you're going to it from me. <laughs> 
<laughs> I get this a lot, don't worry. No, I gotta bring oh, it. Oh my god! Uh, uh, I know. Yeah, I'm looking right now, so I songs, I, yeah. I log all my uh, my songs albums in Discogs, which is uh, like to, yeah. to keep track of all your stuff. Yeah. And like, yeah, even 40 bars is a tough find in there. So yeah, this is uh, you you gotta negotiate hard here, Lindsay. Uh, yeah, I, I do have weird. If I were to pregame, maybe a little Michelle Branch. Oh <laughs> yeah. Because that Taylor deep, Swift new on the romantics. defensive end, you need to be everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Taylor Swift oh, new okay, yeah yes, Taylor yes, Swift new job, romantics I'm just naming songs I've been listening to a lot lately so Lindsay the one I was gonna suggest for you it's not NBA player related but I know you're a big always sunny person uh, the the guys singing Birds of War as they come to the wrestling stomp clap stomp stomp clap that's uh yeah that's got to be you is this the is this segment the white version of when Will and I just talk about Asian stuff for <laughs> half an hour because what the hell is Slipknot man she also Slipknot. <laughs> I wish I was wearing a Slipknot shirt today. So I, was, I look like uh, AJ Soprano. I just wear a plain black hat and my Slipknot hat. There, I get that reference. Hey, Soprano's theme song would be a sick uh, playlist, too. Yeah. Playlist song. This would be a terrible playlist, but I also would like one that's just pure Spice Girls. And I feel like it could yeah. get a lot of people like amped up. They play it at most sporting events. Yeah, no, like I like that. Um, it's, kid, it's kid friendly, certainly. No. Maybe DJ Andre nine hundred five needs to work a little bit better that in. The, the crowd was pretty sparse yesterday. Not blaming it on him, yeah. but uh, yeah, maybe uh, go a little more kid friendly. Lindsay, we gotta let you go. Thanks so much for taking the time out. Anytime. Still not getting record, Alex. Thanks for having me on, guys. Lindsay Dunn, City News, TO Sports, and music reporter, Raptors nine hundred five sideline reporter. We're gonna take a break. When we come back on the other side, Samson Folk of Raptors Republic will join us. I realize we haven't done a ton of Raptors talk yet this episode. That is going to change. We're going to go deep on the offensive growth that we're seeing a little bit at a time, as well as what is going into these Scotty Barnes and bench units, what they can do better, and what the plan is uh, long-term. Samson Folk joins us next as the Raptors show continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network. stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. I'm Blake Murphy. No Will Lou today. Alex Wong uh, taking a chill for the rest of the show as well. So we have tried to replace Will and Alex at the same time in that uh, we've brought in another Raptors Republic person to take the Will spot and brought in another person uh, in a black tooth that doesn't cover their ears, so it's not actually effectively keeping them warm. It's Samson Folk of Raptors Republic. How are you and your sticky bandits looking uh, looking hat? I'm, I'm doing good. The, the cool thing, actually, is that I usually couple this with over-ear headphones, that actually pairs together to give me full coverage. If you're cold, they're cold. Let, let them inside the tube. Mm. They're, they're pretty well fortified, though. They're like these big old things. You've seen them. Yeah. You like them, actually. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. good headphones. Um, we're going to talk serious basketball in sure. this hour. Um, before we do that, though, we were just talking to Lindsay Dunn about the feature she did with a bunch of the Raptors assistant coaches about the pump-up playlist that they have collectively put together. We have some issues with it. Um, however, I wanted to ask you if... You know, the two of us, Lindsay, Alex, Will, we're all about to head out onto the floor, warming up, shoot around, whatever, and we're doing a collective pump-up playlist. What are you putting on there? Pick up the phone. Okay. Young Thug. Okay. Time. That's the one. Yeah, this is uh, obviously the age gap between <laughs> uh, you and me, Alex, and, and Lindsay was there. Alex is going, you know, older school hip-hop. 
Lindsay, Lindsay's bouncing all over the place. She's incredibly versatile. Work she picked and country? music. Uh, she, I don't think she actually picked the song. I think she only picked like songs as a bit, like for me Ooh. and Alex. And then she had a bunch of her vinyl out and was like, I have Chris Weber on vinyl. Like I would pick one off of this album and uh, things like that. So, well, we both hail from Saskatchewan. So we might go. have had a similar music scene growing up. I don't know. I met another Raptors Republic writer from Saskatchewan at the G League game. Was it yesterday. Cody? Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Cody. Yeah, yeah. but uh, that song is awesome. It's also from the summer of 2016, which people my age, that's a big year for music, 2016. Uh, yeah, uh, that is the uh, 2005 year in pop punk. Um, and yeah, I remember it, it was in 2016, but short, not long after that, um, one of the things I did one year because around the holidays, the locker room tends to be emptier with media, so you can do a little bit more fun stuff. I had all the Raptors pick their album of the year for me and built a playlist off of that. Uh, not It was actually the championship year because Marc Gasol mm. was there, um, or it was the run it back year. Marc Gasol was there, though, because we were talking like Spanish It was music. around Christmas? Oh, yeah, so it would have had to be so the run it back yeah, year because yeah. he wasn't there until February. That's right. Thank you for helping me figure Hell it out. Hell yeah. Um, anyway, OG and I got into like, ranking Young Thug records. So I don't remember the order he put them in, just that Patrick McCaw really disagreed. Mm. Um, uh, anyway, let's talk about basketball. Uh, let's start with that 905 note that we've been kicking around. Again, I wrote a story about it. It's up at sportsat.ca today. Uh, I was out in Mississauga yesterday. But Samson, you're someone who does a ton of legwork heading into the draft. Talk to a lot of scouts, talk to a lot of draft people, watch a lot of film yourself. I remember you and I were hanging out shortly before the draft, and he was a guy that you were pretty sold on. It's not enough of a sample, I don't think, for anyone to, to write him off. But what have you seen so far? What concerns you or encourages you uh, about, you know, what you've seen at the NBA level, what you've heard and read at the G League level? There's one concern only. He's not hitting his yeah. jumper. And so basketball basically is the way everything is constructed. You work from a point of strength to put your, the defender at a disadvantage, and that compounds until you can help your teammates or score a basket on your own. Grady's major point of strength, and I know Bobby Webster came out afterwards and said, we had him in a tier of his own. He's a special type of off-ball player. He's an incredibly heady cutter. He has a great read for forming up off of drivers. He moves really well and like makes burn cuts to open up stuff for teammates. He uses his gravity. He's great reading the floor. If you don't hit the jumpers, then nothing good is going to happen. It is in some sense, a make-or-miss league, and he's just been missing a lot. I think his three-point percentage is, what, 24% yeah. maybe? Um, that's marginally better than Pascal's this year, who had an 0-for-17 stretch. So basically... And who also owns the worst three-point shooting season in NBA history. That's true. On his way up right. to develop... To turning that into, like, a 30 to, you know, 33% shot. Yeah. He had to go through that. Big time. So basically the jumper. And I've talked to quite a few scouts at this point... Leading up to the draft, I kind of wanted to talk about the mechanics of his jumper. I know that's been a hotly contested topic. I know people you know have been on the side of it's being changed. Grady came out yesterday and said nothing has been changed. Yeah, I mean, I talked to him a little bit more than sure. the, you know, because I, I talked to him one-on-one -on -one after right. the scrum, and in the scrum he had said no, nothing changed. And then when we got into it a little bit, he was like, it's more, nothing's changed. It's more just like reminding me of like, hey, sometimes when you're stationary, you're off balance, you're a little too narrow. Like, weirdly enough, his mechanics on movement are where he's like pristine. Yes. He just like so naturally squares up his feet, gets a wide, strong base. And then it's more when he's stationary that it, it can, you know, get away from him and then becomes a little more army 
in the thing. But yeah, it doesn't seem like anyone around the Raptors is concerned mechanically. He's certainly not. Yeah. I, I talked to Josh Codanero, a professional scout about this, and we did a video kind of breaking down his shot mechanics. And he talks about how in movement, Grady, he stays square up top, right? Mm-hmm. The legs can be going everywhere after the shot, but he has kind of a sling up top. And so shot mechanic people or shot doctors, they talk about points of failure in a jumper. And Grady, because there's quite a bit of motion in his, he has more points of failure than a lot of, like, great shooters, which means he might be, you know, you did Jose Barrios, for example, hmm. the very athletic wind-up, all that kind of stuff. There's more points of failure, but he's supposed to be a good enough athlete in Barrios and a good enough shooter in Grady to get everything back to normal. And I think that's probably just what's happening. And that athleticism and more points of failure also means that Grady has a higher release. It means he can shoot off more dynamic types of movement. And basically, we're just waiting on everything to come back to center for him. And once it does, then great. And to your point, though, if the shot doesn't drop, yeah. all these other things he does well will not matter. You can be the greatest off-ball mover. Yeah. Andre Roberson was like the best cutter and offensive rebounder for a wing in the league at one point. Yeah. And it didn't matter because once his defense slid even a tiny bit because of the knees, it was like, well, you don't shoot enough. You don't, you don't shoot enough to be out here uh, on the floor. That's obviously an extreme example of a, of a non-shooter. But if your shots don't drop, yeah. it can be hard to find uh, a spot for you. So, Grady Dick has not really contributed offensively. The Toronto Raptors have been about what we've expected them to be offensively, but things have slowly, and we're talking small steps here, so don't, no one's saying it's good, but things have slowly moved in the right direction in the half-court offense. They were in dead last in the league for a little while. They're up to 27th, which is right around where they were. They finished last year in 25th, I believe. And it's been kind of a steady inching up. The Cleveland game was a step back, but that's a team that obviously introduces a ton of defensive challenges uh, with all of their length and the number of good individual defenders they have in the front court. Um, So this slow climb from league worst and at one point process Sixers level bad in the half court to now it's not... You know, we said coming in the year, if you guys defend like heck, have a good transition offense, you can be 20th in the league in half-court offense. They're not there yet, but it's slowly getting there. What are you seeing high level before we dig into some of the specifics? I think basically it's an exercise in seeing how much lack of shooting you can get away with on the floor. And while they've gotten better shooting performances, most importantly from like Dennis and Scotty, both of them shooting well above, you know, expected rates and expected efficiency, I think most teams don't respond to a lot of their pet actions the way that they might want to. They can't drag and pull defenders all over the court to open up as many driving lanes as they want, and they have to try and succeed in spite of that. A good way to succeed against packed defenses is to do it with a post-up because a post-up is slow, working your way downhill, while also being able to stay on pace and be able to account for help defense, and you can also quickly respond with an escape dribble to move the help defense and shift it to open up laydowns into the post to open up three-point shots for other players. And that's easier to do against pack defenses than these straight-line drives where people are going to try and undercut you for charges. People are going to make you pick up your dribble. You'll have to be without a dribble, dead, trying to identify where it is on the floor. People are going to be hawks on your skip passes. So the post-up is like a salve to that. And it's still not perfect offense. It's still not that good. I think they're maybe like 13th or 15th over the past 10 games or so. Uh, it's a slow climb for sure. But in spite of their limitations, I'm actually kind of impressed they got to this point. 
to be quite honest. So another note on the post-ups, and yeah, it is, you know, this is 17 games in, and this was maybe a, hey, by mid-season, if they could be a little better. Um, so that's encouraging, I think, is that like, hey, you're still not creating the advantages you would like to create, but you're finding ways to score a little bit more. Not enough yet. With respect to those post-ups, I pulled some data for a piece Grange had up at sportsnet.ca uh, this morning or, or last night. I forget when it went up, um, but good piece. And I wrote about it a couple weeks ago, some of the numbers. Pascal, uh, the number one player in basketball right now uh, among players with more than 30 post-ups in terms of points per possession, when he shoots, gets the line, turns the ball over, or passes to a teammate who immediately shoots. So those plays have been very high yield, and that's kind of counter to what we normally see. The po Part of the reason the post-up has gone out of vogue is, you know, there are only two points instead of three points. And because, you know, that's something that modern defenses know how to defend a little bit better. And while some teams still use it effectively, league-wide, the, the efficiency on it is just not there. But something our pal Lewis Atzman wrote about for 538 last year is it's still a pretty effective playmaking hub. And to use it as a playmaking hub, you have to have the threat of scoring out of that. Um, it's not something we've seen Scotty Barnes do a ton. I think he's capable of it. Your piece last year or, or in the offseason about his post-ups and his hook shot effectiveness, you know, we know he has that in him. But the Raptors primarily have run through Pascal Siakam in those situations. What do you see from Siakam in those and what makes him so effective as a kind of dual score pass threat out of those situations? It's derived from the same difficulty teams have when they funnel guys middle, and then you see superstars eat in the middle, guys who can go to that mid-range shot making. If you can't funnel a guy to the middle of the court, a crowded middle court, then you can't funnel a guy anywhere. Like, you, you can't really keep guys above the break. You can't switch everything and stop stars from getting downhill. You have to load up in a team defense concept. So you can load up on Pascal, but he, if he's comfortable hitting a 12 to 13-foot jump shot on reliable efficiency that means that you're going to be giving up points it means that the raptors can always have a run stopper it means that they can always get back and set their defense and it also means that pascal that's the baseline is that's the worst shot is this pretty reliable little pop shot and it can get incrementally better where it's like spinning off of his guy getting to the rim and that can be a layup or that can be the help side defender at the bottom shifting over and a lay down all of this rotation can come before he even picks up the ball. He can read the double coming from the top or the bottom. Find a shooter wide open. Find a guy under the basket wide open, just depending on how they shape up to his post-up. There's a lot of options. And I talked about this maybe three years ago with Caitlin Cooper about we were it's a loving basketball episode of the podcast. And we were talking about how the post was becoming this burgeoning playmaking hub. Lewis would end up writing about it a fair bit later and kind of breaking down all the statistics for it. A lot of teams and a lot of guards they aren't really familiar with their like post automatics and they screw up their coverages a lot of times. And it's very hard because if you're playing pick and roll coverage, you're away from the basket and it seems less immediate. You might get a pull up three that beats you. But if you mess up a coverage in the close proximity of the post, if the low man isn't close enough, it's a layup. And especially when they hunt out these mismatches where Pascal has the size and can completely dominate. Like we talked to him after he played Drew Holiday, we were yeah. in the presser. And Drew Holiday is a fire hydrant. Yeah. He can stop anybody. And Pascal still was like, no, I, I felt pretty comfortable backing him down. Especially getting to my against spot. that team, if you can carve out that yes. offense, right? Yeah. So it's, you never want to build the whole ship out of post-ups. You don't want to build the whole plane out of it. But to be able to go to that, which they have been more and more, and there's a correlation for a rising offensive rating, it's a really nice back, like, 
you just back channel. Okay, we can go to that whenever we need it. So another thing that correlates with this offensive improvement, and this is maybe going to undercut some of what we're saying, is sure. strength of schedule. They sure. have, you know, their offenses look the best when they're playing, when they're coming back against the 3-14 and 14 Washington Wizards or when they're running up the score on the 2-15 and 15 Pistons, the Spurs compact. The Spurs are the third worst defense in basketball. Now, they have had some good nights against good teams. They've had some solid nights against good teams. You know, Milwaukee has not been that good defensively yet, but they still introduced some challenges, things like that. You know, the Cleveland game the other day was a step back. Let, let's keep this just focused on the Siakam post-ups for now because, look, league-wide, Guys are going to shoot worse in losses than in wins because you lost. Like, like you lost. Usually, yeah. It, it, the, the direction here of causation is guys shoot worse, you lose. Um, it's not, you know, it, it's not overcomplicated. One thing we're noticing, though, is that those post-up opportunities, whether as a scorer or a passer, have been less readily available against the better defensive teams. Now, maybe this is a quirk of, well, they played a lot of good defenses at the start and it, the schedule's turned a little easier since. But why, you know, theoretically or in what you've seen, obviously a better defensive team is just better defensively, but it seems there that those post actions and those kind of back pocket advantages that, that you mentioned are disproportionately affected by the quality of an opposing defense. Is that fair to say? I think yes, in the same way that the quality of the opposing defense will always impact like mm -hmm. points per possession. It's maybe instructive that they did quite well against Boston with it. It's instructive that their half-court offense was actually good against Orlando. They just turned the ball over a bunch and didn't get rebounds. And that obviously, they, how many, they had what, like 20 less possessions in that game than Orlando? It was insane. Yeah. And they, they played last year's Raptors team, basically. <laughs> exactly. And, and Orlando actually made a lot of shots at the rim. And they take a lot there, so that hurts. But basically, there are teams who are good on defense and teams who are bad on defense. And the post-up makes sure that you defend in a team concept. Because basically, no team leaves you alone. Even Indiana... Right, no team's going to let you go middle. Exactly. Indiana has, like, a team-wide mandate that, like, we don't really send two to the ball. And they doubled Pascal's post-ups. That's how overwhelming and hard he they is. They don't even send one to the ball a lot of the yeah. time, though. <laughs> and, and that's the thing, right? Like, Pascal's very hard to stop in the post. And so he's going to create that defensive response, even in these games where it doesn't go well, even in the game where they ended up winning, right? Like they have seven missed threes down the stretch. And a lot of those possessions came out of the post up. And it's a make or miss aspect of it is like, if you run a post up and Siakam collapses the defense and you immediately pass out and a guy just misses an open three, it's a slow play. It looks like bad offense, but you got an open shot and you missed it. And that's kind of like tough. They, they have to be able to counter the post-up in some ways, too. That's been the big thing. The post-up, other teams can affect the volume by mm -hmm. overloading and moving the ball elsewhere. The Raptors have to be not starting every possession with the post-up, obviously, not overwhelming, but they have to be able to go to other stuff. And guys have to be able to score off of the second side actions. If you get the defense collapsed, you've basically done your job. Any coach will tell you that. And you want to play in a team concept, but if you have a guy who can break the defense immediately. That was a pretty quiet snap. Yeah. If you can break the defense immediately, I mean, it puts the rest of your teammates in an advantageous position and you have to be able to work out of that. And Pascal on the other side of things has to also be better at working off, you know, other players' advantages created too. Yeah, and we'll get into some of the Scotty pick and roll stuff that, that I want to talk yeah. to you about. Um, you had mentioned, and this is this was in specific relation to Pascal's post-ups. You said some, some laydowns or, or dump-offs if, if you prefer finding cutters, things like that. Um, it does seem like the chemistry is improving. I think as you're trying to install 
you know, they're not reinventing the wheel, but this is a pretty significant, the way they want to play is a, is a good shift from the last couple of years. Yeah. They're second in the league in total passes per game. We've talked about passes on its own is not the goal. You can be a high pass team and a bad offense if you're turning it over and you don't hit shots, but they're also fifth in assists now, which is, you know, higher than they were early in the season. They're third in potential assists. So how many shot opportunities are you creating off of the pass? These things are slowly trending upward. And again, there's a quality of opponent com- com- component. Um, but are you starting to see a little bit more chemistry, whether it's passing out of that post, whether it's the big operating out of the high post and, and those high low feeds that we see a little bit, um, even something like, you know, the whether it's Dennis or Scotty is the initiator, that that chemistry with Jakob Pertl on the roll and using Jakob Pertl then as a pat as a pass to make a second pass. Um, are you seeing some of that stuff come that that just wasn't there out of the gate? Definitely. And as far as the passing last season and many seasons prior to this, the Raptors a lot of their passing was east west. They have a lot more north south passing, and I think a lot relative to the rest of the league. Being able to pass going downhill is a super big deal. And even something as small as like we'll talk about the Scotty pick and roll and coverages and stuff like that, but. Pascal's pick and roll with Jakob has gotten a lot better recently too. I think he started out one for 12 or one for 15 to start the year. They couldn't get anything going. Pascal did a bad job spying out the guy in the corner when teams were overloading. Now teams are kind of tagging differently and there's more of those pocket passes to Jakob. Well, maybe not the bounce pass, but hitting him in stride. He's made more of those. Dennis, I think you're never going to get a ton of efficient offense from him but he has to be able to chew possessions and move the Raptors through their actions efficiently. And all this stuff is slowly getting better, but maybe the thing that's most impressive is that the Raptors, so much of their offense is based off of the mismatch at the 2-3 and the 4. The OG, Pascal, Scotty of it all. And being able to get those back screens, a lot of it is run out of the Princeton offense, to get guys going downhill or a slice screen and just have Jakob pass it into these guys, I've been surprised at how high teams play on Jakob now, but it's good news for the Raptors. It gives them more space to create those isolated, maybe like post-entry or high-low feeds to one of Pascal or Scotty on the inside against a smaller player. And they've found a lot more success on those and even having to add some like twirl wrinkles and all that kind of stuff. So it's been really cool to see them get better at that. But again, these are small steps. Like Mm -hmm. last season, they were 26th or 25th in half-court offense. 12th overall because they were so good in transition you can try and follow the same recipe this year it's just they're low in the overall ranking but they're also like by the numbers they're below the league average by Mm -hmm. a lot you can be the 25th best half court offense and be close to the like 18th or something like that that's not the case now but they can get to that point because defense 5.8 points per 100 half court possessions off league average which is tough obviously that's a lot so i mean there are about 100 possessions in a game so but it's it's also (laughs) trended up from being like 82 or 83 to what 91 now yeah yeah at one point i think it was only two weeks ago i looked and it was the last time there was a half court offense that bad over an entire season was the process sixers tough yeah but it's it's gone north portland's still down that yes they're 83 or 86 now but yeah um okay so one other thing uh, about the offense that I've noted, noted is trending in the right direction. And I maybe only noticed because when I did my early season, hey, here are the offensive trends I've seen in a small sample and I'm keeping an eye on. They were comically bad as, as a cutting team. Yes. They have nudged up to 26th in points per possession off of a cut. That is very low, but 
scoring off of cuts are one of the highest yield possessions that you can have. If you finish a possession via the cut, a cut only almost only comes when a guy manages to get open underneath the defense or, or around defensive inattention. It's a really efficient play. If you can get more of them, that's great. And they're seventh in volume. Is that a good kind of bellwether for you? Do you, do you think about, like, if we were trying to pick a stat or a small handful of stats that are indicators of, of that half-court chemistry? I think that's a... You want to be cutting. Like, there's... When Darko is mic'd up, you could just hear, like, cut, move, keep cutting, fill. Like, he's just trying to usher these guys through so many parts of the defense. And there also might be the Raptors might score more by, like, they make a cut and it pays off in a way that it's not counted as a cut. Yes. So, like, if they're running... There's three guys on one side of the court, right? Pascal, Scotty, and Jakob is dribbling over there, and Pascal cuts under the rim to empty the side for a Scotty, Jakob, be it dribble handoff or pick and roll. What Pascal, what a lot of other players do if they're Pascal, would filter out to the weak side corner. But what Pascal can do is he can hang out under the basket in the dunker spot if they step up to Scotty, because Scotty can make those really good high low reads, asking Jakob if anybody cheats. And if Pascal's guy has to step up, if Scotty gets, you know, the step, then Pascal can show in the dunker spot. And that, I don't think, would maybe count as a cut. I'm not sure how they would identify that. They would, if Pascal finished that play, I think they would count it as a sure. cut. But they're not, you know, we'd have to go to second spectrum to find, and like, off-ball cuts and stuff like that. And there is no, this is the thing with any play-type data. Right. is like, we're we're using it as a a tool to help us simplify what yeah. is obviously very complex possession. Everyone can see a cut happening. Yeah. And, but the computer sees all of them, tracks them, and then spits out a number that you're like, they're seventh. They do it the seventh yeah. most, which is good. Um, cutting is, of course, really important. Orlando is a really good example of this, that you need, and the Raptors are 26th in points per chance or points per possession, obviously, because of that spacing. If you cut a ton and your team shoots really well, uh, that points per chance or points per possession is going to be probably top five. Orlando is a team. I don't know what their cutting numbers are. They're fourth in points per possession off of cuts, despite being one of the only teams worse than the Raptors at shooting. Hell yeah. And that, the thing about that too is that they finish at the rim on a ton of those cuts. Like if you go to the effective, effective field goal percentage, expected numbers, Orlando might be first in the NBA in expected points to score based on where they take their shots. Because they just... Pass to the paint, pass to the paint, pass to the paint, and drive to the paint. And the Raptors, they're leaning into that, and which is what they wanted to do after a season where they spent so much time in the short mid-range and the mid-range. And they're trying to slowly shift that shot chart to more like Kyle Lowry levels where it's layups and threes, I guess. And yes, the Magic are first in location, expected, effective field goal percentage, narrowly ahead of the Pacers. So good for those Pacers Orlando nuts, Magic. Man. Hey, guess what? Length is really important on both sides of the basketball. So uh, the Magic are, are getting it done. <laughs> maybe we need to dig in further. Like, it's a running joke on the show that they're my Magic. But sure. maybe we do need to, to dig in a little further. We're going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to set up tonight's game a little bit. But as we continue to talk about the offense and these small steps we're seeing, we're seeing a pretty big step in terms of Scotty Barnes's pick and roll play. We'll go a little deeper on that as the Raptors show continues. Me, Blake Murphy, Samson, folks sitting in with us on the Sportsnet Radio Network. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back 
to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm Blake Murphy uh, alongside Samson Folk of Raptors Republic. He is still in studio with us as we uh, look at some of the Raptors small but maybe meaningful improvements on the offensive side of the ball over the course of the season thus far. We'll also take a look ahead at tonight's Raptors Nets game in just a little bit. Samson, we hinted at this. We, we touched upon it, but we mostly talked about the non-Scotty parts of the sure. offense in that first part. And those are small gains. I mean, the Siakam post-up stuff isn't new. That's something you always knew you could go to. Some of these, you know, more system-oriented, the high-low passes, the cutting, things like that are small improvements that are notable and important. But the most important change to the Raptors offense over these first 17 games versus what we maybe expected coming in is Scotty Barnes has taken a big step forward as a pick-and-roll operator uh we'll dive into some of the specifics but high level what are you seeing are we seeing that enough even i think so i talked to caitlin cooper about this and she had a very midwestern we should just had her on yeah <laughs> she had a, a very midwesternism she said pigs get fed hogs get slaughtered in Oof. regards to how the, much you want to go to your core offensive exactly thing. how much because scotty you you have the numbers up there as far as like usage He's doing quite well, and I still think by the numbers, if, especially if you include passes, the Scotty pick and roll is better than any other pick and roll that has seen ha, has run a handful of possessions, mm-hmm. let's say on the Raptors, which is a huge change, and it's not completely dependent on beating a switch afterwards. Which is Pascal's pick and rolls were good last year, but it was a consequence of you switch the pick and roll, and then it was the score. it was the Demar system. It's like okay, every play is a pick and roll, but it's really a pick and roll to generate not an iso but a one-on-one attack yes it's a vehicle for to go to other skills whereas you're not scoring in flow flow offense is important it gets more people involved it gets the defense more shifted it allows like role players to get better shots all that kind of stuff and scotty has been providing flow offense out of the pick and roll and really impressively so part of it is that teams shockingly have already started to respond to his jumper which kudos to scotty his jumper progression has been insane, whether it's from the mid-range, whether it's from three. The jump he's making, I didn't see any single person predict this. Um, it's always a credit to players who build and work on their game. I know there was a ton of stuff out there about Scotty's work ethic last season. I know Masai said he had a conversation. That stuff can be blown out. NBA players work for their skills. NBA players work for their game. Scotty has brought himself to a level as a shooter that is years ahead of schedule 37.6% on threes. And this is a little inflated because his short mid range his 10 to 16 footers haven't been very effective at all, but the 16 foot to, to three point line range, he's shooting 62%. That'll come down, but I, I I'm pretty certain the 10 to 16 foot range will come up. I don't think he's going to be one for four on like elbow jumpers very often. So uh, yeah, the mid range shooting is uh is there to back it up. So what does that you know, when when we first saw him starting to hit these threes, sure. my assumption was, well, that's really good because teams are not going to respect your jump shot, and it's important that you make them pay for that. It's probably going to take half a season for teams to adjust to that. The fact that they're tweaking that now, they're maybe changing their scouts on him, wh- how is that going to open up even more for him in the pick and roll? So the big thing, obviously, and we saw it against the Bucks, is that the Bucks play lock and trail defense. Because they have Brooke Lopez waiting at the rim. So lock and trail for anyone who doesn't know, the the big is going to drop back. The main defender is going to fight over the screen and either rear view contest or try to weasel their way back into position in front of the ball handler. And this is very effective against a slew of pick and roll ball handlers because 
guards don't want to go one-on-one against Brook Lopez at the rim. We talked about earlier in the episode funneling guys into the uncomfortable, crowded middle of the court and seeing how they do there. Uh, Scotty can kind of bypass all that. He's made a few shots this year, this year against like the drop as a mid-range jumper pull-up guy. But as far as if you funnel Scotty towards the big, it's different than your lead guard. Scotty is like, who's down there? I want it. This is a guy whose first playoff points were a post-up from the corner on Tyrese Maxey where he drop-stepped to the middle, saw Joel Embiid, and said, are you going to meet me there? And dunked it. Uh, he wants the smoke, all of Seeking it. Seeking out Giannis for uh, for the Giannis push-off. Like, all, yes, exactly. That, that like, shoulder, forearm, just, like, boof, get off Who me. was it against the Spurs he just buried on one, too? Oh, Sohan. Yeah. And Sohan... Changed his hair color with that yeah, dunk. Sohan thought he was going to, like, give the the space and then meet him at the rim, and he was nowhere close. Scotty also had that, that Giannis on the game in early November last year on Kevin Durant as right. well, like, that get off me for a dunk. He's... Um, an immensely imposing downhill player. Darko Ryakovic said, if Scotty's going downhill, if you have to close out God on help him, you. God help you. Uh, lock and trail functionally puts a player downhill the same way a closeout does. You're working from behind. Not every team plays it like that, but Scotty is responding to different coverages at the level and different coverages in the weak side and making a ton of great passing reads with his benefit of world-class passing vision at a height that most people aren't. That's, um, and that's part of the benefit when, when teams are searching for these, like the magic to go back to Franz sure. and Paolo are 6'9", 6'10", careers. The Raptors, Siakam and Barnes, the, the Thunder with uh, large guards and a guy we won't mention. Um, the idea is like, yes, point guards are better passers nominally, but if you can put that skill in a body where you can look up and see over, like there's a reason there's no short quarterbacks. Yeah. That's, you, when you make a pass... Defenses occupy that space with length. And the reason why Anthony Davis is maybe the greatest roller of all time is he gives you more vertical space. You suddenly can access, the ball can go to different spots. And what Scotty, as a tall passer does is he starts the vertical space higher and you can create these faster, more direct passes, be it to the corner or to the roll man. Whereas like Fred Van Vliet, a lot of the passes he makes is via the bounce to the roller because he can't make that straight across pass because he can't access the airspace. Scotty lives there. He likes the weather there. He passes from there. He's tremendous. And also some of that is Scotty does a really good job. We talked about this beforehand when we were going the deep dive for Scotty is engaging the switch quicker. Don't let it settle. If the switch, if they're switching to create the edge so you can't turn it, if they're switching to just kind of like dead the possession, whatever, but you have to engage it quickly because a switch, while some teams think this is good, it sets it back to zero, you can pursue that action quick enough that it's not truly zero, and you can try and get the edge on a switch and bring help from elsewhere. You can try and go back middle on the switch and get the guy who just switched off of you to step up and then effectively after the pick and roll create a blitz, and then you can lay down to your big. Like Scotty's doing all this kind of stuff against more aggressive coverages and some more conservative coverages and this is all obviously helped out by an improvement as a ball handler, a major step up as a shooter, and just overall, he's a supercomputer on the court. The more you see, everybody knows this, everyone who's played basketball, the more you see, the more you know, and the more you can make these premeditated decisions to beat a defense you know that's coming. And this is what we talk about with lead guards a lot of the time. It's something we experienced here in Toronto with DeMar. It's like, okay, 
well, what is your offensive game? And then that's one thing you, you have a bag. That's the, the, those are table stakes, right? Like that's what sure. you have to have to have the ball in your hand at the NBA level. And then it's like, okay, this is how a defense reacts to you. What can you do with that? And then it's like, okay, I anticipate what a defense is. And then the next level is, well, I already know if I do this, the defense is going to do this. So I'm thinking ahead and I'm manipulating them to do what I want to do. And that's the thing. That's the element that we see little glimpses of with Scotty, but you probably need another, you know, a hundred, another 250 possessions like this for, you know, even someone who thinks the game and reads the game at that level to really, you know, see all those iterations. So what flows from this, I guess, is, He's been effective, right? So I, I could mention the points per possessions. It's 1.01 when he either shoots, turns it over, goes the line, or passes to someone who finishes. Um, that's a strong number. It's not as high as the Pascal post-up number we were talking about, but that's because pick and rolls are just... You want good things all over everywhere. Exactly. Like, you need more than one option. Yes. Yeah. If you if the post-up was your only option, you would probably score 0.000 <laughs> points on it. Same with the Scotty pick and roll. Um, so 1.01 is, is a very good number for a high-volume pick and roll operator. Of the 84 qualified players that I looked at, uh, he's, that's 36th. So that's pretty good. So already you're only looking at the 84 guys who do it the most. Um, and 84 is just because I put in a per game. He was 39th percentile last year. Yeah. So already you're making a huge, he's what, 70th? Yeah. So he's, so I don't you're know. going from the lower third to the top of the middle third. Yes. Basically. Um, so my question that would flow from this is on average, uh, it works out to about five and a half instances per game where the Raptors are finishing a possession that started with the Scotty Barnes pick and roll and finished via that pick and roll. So like you said earlier, it doesn't account for Scotty passes out and then three swing passes later. There's a three. It's not capturing every advantage, but that 5.5 per game number only ranks 72nd in the league. Now, he's a big forward. He's sharing creation opportunities with Dennis Schroeder and Pascal Siakam, but that's about the number of the number two and a half pick and roll initiator on an average team. They need to get that number higher. I do think it, it behooves them to get it higher. And the big thing is that, like, if you go by touches, Dennis is first, mm -hmm. Scotty's pretty close behind. And then there's like a bit of a leap, and then it's Pascal. Pascal is third in touches, but his right now have gotten a lot more intentional, right? Than like he, Scotty's. Yeah, you're you're looking at because his usage rate has climbed just a, a, a hair above Scotty's. Yes. So they're over the course of these 17, 18 games, we're looking at they're getting the ball and doing a similar amount of things. And you know, Pascal is a more reliable half court creator. You want a ton of reliable half-court creators. You can look at these egalitarian offenses that can hand the ball off to like any between four to six guys to give them an, an advantageous action at any point in time. And then once things get a little bit more, I don't know, compact and tough on defense, you go to your stars to make shots out of difficult situations or create easy looks for role players. Scotty, I think that some of these possessions, especially with the bench lineup, maybe they're not, they don't have the spacing they want to run a lot of these pick and rolls. Maybe they want to put the ball more into motion stuff because they've seen like Malachi Flynn's eight points in however many minutes came as a, you know, a consequence of motion offense. They want to emulate and get more of the bench guys scoring. But I think the bench is a good opportunity, whether it's with OG next to him or four other bench players, for Scotty to get some of these possessions, to work through what coverages he's getting, to put him in like these. Because the pick and roll, we talk about playmaking, but the first thing you do is you get around a screen. Yeah. You look to score. I mean, that's, that's where you're looking, right? That's yeah, this is, this is what you want to do. So I think that there's some aggressiveness on Scotty's side of things that he needs to take ownership of himself and, like, 
maybe I try and score a little bit more. That would be helpful. But I also think that the Raptors have to be more intentional with their use of Scotty. The same way that I thought they were deeply, I don't know why, but for the first seven games of the season, and I wrote this piece about this, they're not using Pascal in any of his strengths. Mm -hmm. And they're using him a lot as a burn cutter, as an off-ball screener, and as a three-point shooter. You just talked about it. Uh, He's the best by the numbers, post-up player in the NBA. He's not better than Jokic, but by the numbers so far, it's been a great action. The Raptors' rise in their offense is because they leaned into stuff that works. We've seen they have stuff that works with Scotty. It behooves them to try it out more often. Maybe the efficiency goes down. Maybe it's tough. But there's also the other side of things where Scotty is the future. He's already shown an ability to have like these big burgeoning progressions in skill. And why not give this guy a bunch of possessions that you can build offense out of? And, and if the logic is you're running these Scotty and bench units because you think he can eventually be a guy who floats bad sure. lineups like that and you want to see it and you're trying to expand it, like, okay, well, let's, let's let him do the things that you would have him do in those right. lines. Now, I personally am, and we talked about this a little bit. I know you wrote about it today. Those Scotty and four-man bench units, I think it's more of a personnel issue than, than like Scotty's numbers drop dramatically in terms of efficiency. The usage goes up. I think this is much more uh, who are the four guys that are out there with them. We see a significant improvement in the numbers when, say, OG is out there and it's just three bench players. Um, What, what in your estimation, is that the justification for this? One, like Darko is trying to find a rotation that includes 10 guys and doesn't play the main guys 40 minutes. Um, But also like, hey, let's see what Scotty can do with it. I think that there's two things meeting here. I think you can basically do anything with the Raptors and sweep it under the rug of (laughs) it's Scotty developing. And I also think Darko came into this team and a lot of fans thought that the depth, I I mean, I thought the bench would be better. The bench McDaniels was good before he got here. Sure. And like there was expectations of his jumper, which had been up and down. There were lots of different types of expectations. And while some of that has come around, like Malachi is certainly a better player now in this system than he was last season. I think that Darko is looking at a bench that has been kind of feckless, and he's saying, how do I make this work? How do I make rotation simple? And, I like, Scotty is the, the sacrificial lamb for this. It's like, go see if you can carry it. I looked at Luka Doncic in his third year, where he was first-team All-NBA. He floated his bench lineups. They were a negative, but negative 3.3 over almost 600 possessions. Like, if you can play four bench players and only narrowly lose that's as weird as it sounds a win if you're a good team because you're expecting your starters to now the Raptors starters haven't won recently but and and Pascal did that last season he floated four bench player lineups but he only played 99 possessions of Mm -hmm. that Scotty's almost at 200 at this point they're going to that a lot because they never played nine guys last yeah. year. It was just rare. And they're, they're going, yeah, it would have been games where other guys were injured, yeah. right? And they're going to that a lot. And Scotty is not enough of an offensive hub to kind of carry those lineups yet. But you're trying to get that progression out of him. So you see what happens. And also, it obviously makes Darko's job as a coach easier from a rotation standpoint. Sure, He's like, okay, I know... Because from my point of view, I think, well, if Scotty and OG plus three bench players can win minutes, you can rest. That's like guaranteed rest for Dennis, guaranteed rest for Jakob, guaranteed rest for Pascal, and Pascal plus Schroeder and Jakob and just Pascal. That's the other thing is yeah. all the other transitional lineups have been pretty good, and including like when Scotty is the first sub out and Gary subs in, yeah. that lineup's been the third best lineup in basketball with at least 50, 50 minutes played together, I think. Um so, like, obviously that lineup is good with Scotty, and Scotty would benefit from that if, say, Dennis came out or, um, you know, OG came out or yeah. something like that. But 
yeah, weirdly, like, Scotty is almost wearing a little bit a rotation pattern that helps the other transition lineups survive more. Yeah, yeah Scotty, the sacrificial lamb thing is, like, totally true. Scotty, it doesn't, like, the on-off numbers you see Scotty is struggling. That's not a struggle. That's just, like, the the context that he's constantly being used in and what he's being asked yeah, to do. Yeah, it's a descriptive stat, not yes, a prescriptive exactly. stat. Exactly. And the Raptors are trying to find a way to make, like, a host of their lineups work. And if Pascal can win minutes with OG and Scotty off the floor, that's a huge deal. If Scotty and OG can team up to win minutes with Pascal off the floor, that's a huge deal. You have a method to get all three of your best players rest, but Darko's still going away from that a little bit to play a lot of possessions at this point of Scotty plus four other bench guys that have been really tough so far. <laughs> they have been tough. Uh, we'll see how that looks tonight. The Raptors are going to play against the Nets. It is their final in-season tournament game. It does not matter for the Raptors. It matters for the Nets. It potentially <laughs> matters for the Celtics and Magic as well. Uh, to take you through it again, if the Raptors beat the Nets, the Celtics are done. Um, or the, I guess the Celtics could still get the wild card depending on how point differential shakes out. But the Celtics don't play tonight, so they're not in control of their own destiny here. The Raptors, this is my in-season championship sure. now. As Raptors win tonight, so the Celtics, I mean, maybe they sneak in on the wild card, um, but they can't win the pool. It's the Magic's pool then. Um, but if the Raptors were to lose, then there are three-team tie scenarios. There are two-team tie scenarios where Brooklyn wins. Um, so a lot on the line there, a lot on the line around basketball. Um, tonight's the last night of the in-season tournament league-wide, and there are only two of the eight in-season tournament quarterfinal spots locked up. Uh, so 16 teams still fighting for uh, those remaining six spots. Raptors don't really care about that. There'll be an action against the Nets in just a regular season game. It's time now for Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. Uh, the Raptors are one-and-a-half-point underdogs. The over-under set at 224 for this one. Nick Claxton was originally on the injury report. He's going to play. Ben Simmons and Cam Thomas are out. So in Cam Thomas, the Nets are down about 27 points per game there. Uh, he's been by far their highest scorer. Um, Cam Johnson is probable. Dennis Smith Jr. is questionable. On the Raptors side, Christian Coloco remains out. Grady and the two A's remain with the 905. So uh, to review that, Claxton in, Simmons and Thomas out, Johnson and Smith Jr. TBD. When you look at this one, Samson, hearing that Nick Claxton is in after all, how does that change what the Raptors are looking to do here? And maybe they just played a Cavs team with two Nick Claxtons uh, yeah. out there, so at least they, they've got a recent look at it. I think that offensively it does change things. It makes the Raptors' job a little bit more difficult. You mentioned Scotty's usage, and you said that's maybe like a two-and-a-half pick-and-roll type of guy. Uh, I think that the, the Nets play like three guys who all get like a 1.5 or 2 as far as, like, usage in the pick-and-roll. They're going to run a ton of pick-and-roll against Raptors. The biggest motivator is that Jakob has been much better at creating, like, the edge, not allowing the middle, and working in concert with his the player who's defending the ball handler. So the Raptors, I think, will have a means to bottle up the Nets, like, lifeblood in the pick-and-roll. That's my expectation. I don't know if that happens, but I think it probably will. And then Nets will have to make more plays out of broken plays. And usually teams who shoot threes really well do well on broken plays. Yeah, they're third and three-point shooting right. and third and corner volume. So That's they right. get to those efficient spots even in, in yep. broken situations. Yeah. And so the ball is going to find shooters. The Raptors have to not quit at the eight-second mark when it looks like they've deaded the possession. They have to be really mindful of 
you know, a team that cuts and a team that is fill corners and a team that is going to hit shots and make backbreakers and stuff like that. And there's pull-up shooting talent on the team too. So you want to bottle everything up, keep the play in front of you, and make sure that your ball handlers have like these good rear view contests. Make sure that you sit on the shooting hip and you want to play that style of defense and you want Jakob to hold down the middle, which he was phenomenal against Darius Garland. He mm-hmm. was phenomenal against Donovan Mitchell. If they can play the same level of defense from Jakob and from whether it's Scotty stepping in at the five or Precious, I think that they're in a good spot, even if Nick Claxton does complicate like a, a front court situation. Mm-hmm. All right, so we got me, Nets offensive possessions, working even though we're very broken. Sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and and color me skeptical that Dorian Finney-Smith and Lonnie Walker, the fourth, are going to continue shooting like 50% on threes. There's a little bit of regression to here. Uh, do you give, I mean, look, if you give them open looks, they'll Lonnie hit them. and Donnie are pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I call them Donnie. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I got it. Um, <laughs> uh, you put OG on Mikael Bridges in this one with no cam? With no cam? Yeah. That's, okay. that's I, I put OG on, if I want to, if I want their offense to look any sort of way, I trust OG basically above any other defender in basketball. Like maybe he's not as impactful as a big, like a Rudy Gobert in his best year because he affects everything around the rim. But if you want OG to move an offense into spots on the floor to be kind of the shepherd who herds the offensive sheep to like, this is where you go. I'm going to ice a pick and roll and shift you here. Then I'm going to play in the shooting pocket here. I'm going to be able to block the pass that you want to make as an outlet. Just to kind of like move the whoever's guiding the offense into uncomfortable positions repeatedly, make sure they shoot less. That's what OG Ananobi does every game against a big, against a guard, against a wing. And I think that they can shift a lot of the Nets' pet actions just by throwing OG on to Michael. Well, this is the number eight offense, or sorry, uh, number eight defense. No, number eight offense. My notes are uh, a little bit of a mess today relative to normal. <laughs> number eight offense against number nine defense. Uh, again, yeah, ba- pretty balanced offense. They don't go to the free throw line a lot. No, Thomas is big, uh, but they do shoot a ton of corner threes. They shoot the three well. Um, they don't really, with Ben Simmons out, they don't play many guys who can't at least knock down uh, a three if you leave them open. On the other side, uh, this is the first time the Raptors have faced a really good transition defense in a while. The Nets are number 20 in defense overall, but they're fourth stopping the transition game. So that's an area where the Raptors generally really, really rely on that uh, aspect. Um, The Nets are also fairly conservative defensively. They're really good on their own glass. They don't force a ton of turnovers. So that's an area where the the Raptors have been a little turnover prone. Maybe they can be a little safer today, um, but you're probably not getting a lot on the glass there. That was Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. Uh, Samson, we got two minutes left here. Um, what else are you looking for in tonight's game? Or, or you know, I, let, let's round it up with the Scotty thing. Um, when you look at who they could potentially have guarding Scotty, where do you think he eats tonight? Uh, I like keeping him lower in the defense as an instinctual defender mm-hmm. who makes reads. Uh, there are a lot of players who can only read one side of the floor. And, like, a, a great passer has a tough time seeing how other great passers might try to beat them defensively. Scotty, I think, has a tremendous read for reading what other players are trying to do and responding to it as the low man. He's also a really quick jumper. He's extremely long and has a great sense of what to do, which puts him in a lot of great defensive playmaking opportunities. I don't like when they move him higher into the defense because a lot of times he'll get blown by. It's not really his fault. He's guarding lower. We see Pascal get blown by. We see 
OG lesser than both those guys get blown by. But if Scotty is on the perimeter, it means that his defensive playmaking is not as effective if he gets beat. So yeah, we'll I'd like him well. Yeah, we'll see that tonight. We saw the opposite of that in the Cleveland game. That does it for us today. I've been Blake Murphy. We'll do back tomorrow on the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find the Raptors show wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe, please rate, review, etc. Thanks again to Sham Strania, Lindsay Dunn, Samson Folk, producer and co-host Alex Wong. Uh, this says Blake Murphy, but I will thank myself a little bit. Our board producer, Derek Brandeo, as well as Frank Baraska, David Sis, and J.R. Manitad for helping us behind the scenes. We'll be back tomorrow to break this one down and set up another one. It's a back-to-back Phoenix Suns in town tomorrow. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.